Independence Day. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning from me, Peter Lewis. Welcome to a brand new week and a holiday week as well here in Hong Kong. The time's 8.03 on Monday the 4th of April. This is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is Money Talk on Radio 3. COVID-19 cases on the mainland soared above 13,000 on Sunday. In Shanghai, the t- total number of cases jumped to 8,226, up from 6,311 the previous day. The eastern part of the city, including the Pudong financial area, remains largely in lockdown. And on Friday, the lockdown was was extended to the Pushi district. All citizens were told to carry out rapid antigen self-tests yesterday before citywide nucleic acid tests today. State news agency Xinhua published a commentary saying the country must press on with what Beijing calls dynamic zero covid amid signs that public support for the policy was wavering. An automaker Tesla notified workers and suppliers yesterday that production at its Shanghai factory will not resume today as initially hoped. Data released on Friday showed further strains of the lockdowns, compulsory mass testing and quarantines were having on the economy. The Kaishin Market Manufacturing PMI came in at 48.1, the lowest reading since February 2020 and below the 50 level that separates growth from contraction. Financial Secretary Paul Chan says the government will distribute the first batch of electronic consumption vouchers worth $5,000 on Thursday. Writing on his official blog, he said residents are required to spend the money before the end of October. U.S. employers added 431,000 jobs last month. It's the 15th month in a row of job gains and helped to push the unemployment rate down to 3.6%. The US has now regained nearly all of the jobs lost since the pandemic hit, and the Labour Department said Friday the average weekly wage in March was up 5.6% from a year ago. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Sullivan of Outset Global and John Schofield from Tempest Investments. With a view from mainland China is Ben Cavender at the China Market Research Group. Money Talk U.S. equities closed the first session of the second quarter higher on Friday after data showed American businesses adding workers in March. The S&P 500 climbed 0.3% to finish at 4,546. The Dow Industrials closed 140 points higher at 34,808. And the Nasdaq Composite Index added 0.3% to end the week at 14,262. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index, which shed 6.5% in the first quarter, closed the day half a percent higher. London's FTSE 100 was a third of a percent higher. Hong Kong stocks closed slightly higher Friday thanks to a late rally after falling as much as 2% and spending most of the day in negative territory. The Hang Seng Index edged up 0.2% or 43 points at the close to 22,040. The Tech Index dropped 0.7%, dragged lower by 4.5% fall for Baidu and a 3.3% decline for AAC Technologies. 
The trading of several Chinese property developers was suspended in Hong Kong from Friday as they failed to release even unaudited 2021 financial reports by the March 31st deadline. The, the list includes Shimeo, Kaiser, China Air and Sunak China and Times China. In total, 32 companies were suspended. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.9% to 3,283. Oil prices dropped further Friday after the US said it was releasing 1 million barrels of oil per day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve for about six months. On Friday, Brent crude oil fell 2.5%, taking its losses for the week to over 13%, and it's at $103.45 a barrel this morning. Copper was down half a percent. Gold fell to $1,925 an ounce. The US government bond market came under fresh selling pressure Friday following the strong jobs report. The yield on the US two-year Treasury note, which is sensitive to monetary policy expectations, rose 13 basis points to 2.46%. The 10-year yield climbed 5 basis points to 2.39%, leaving the 2-10 to year part of the yield curve inverted for a second day. And the euro this morning, trading at $1.10.5, the buck's worth 122.5 Japanese yen. One British pound is worth $1.31 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 27 cents. Chinese yuan is at 6.37 versus the dollar this morning. And Bitcoin is at $46,400 this morning. In Asian markets, the China A-share market will be closed today and tomorrow for the Qingming Festival before reopening on Wednesday. Down in Australia, the SX200 uh, is up about half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan, pretty well flat at the open. Uh, the Cosby has opened half a percent lower. Looks like we're going to see a rally of about 180 points for the Hang Seng at the open later on this morning. <laughs> Times 8.09. Let's join our guests over in our Queensway studio. We have with us John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investments. Morning, John. Good morning, Peter. And also with us on the phone, Andrew Sullivan, Managing Director at Outset Global. Morning to you, Andrew. Good morning. So the big, um, the big news, actually, uh, for this morning um, is that Chinese authorities are preparing to give US regulators full access to auditing reports of the majority of the around 270 companies listed in New York soon as the middle of this year and it's drafting a framework that would allow most Chinese firms to keep their listings. On Saturday the China Securities Regulatory Commission confirmed it would change confidentiality laws that presents its overseas listed companies from providing sensitive financial information to foreign regulators. On that rumour the Nasdaq Golden Dragon Index on Friday jumped to almost 5%. Um, John however you look at this this has got to be good news isn't it? Uh, yes, indeed. Um, it, it's uh, uh, a little, a little glint of, uh, of of light at the end of the tunnel for for, for the for the stock market generally here. Um, yes, I mean it's good if we can resolve this uh, resolve this dispute. Um, I doubt how it will it will affect the the uh, the long term trend of of companies increase of Chinese companies increasingly wanting to list on uh, on Hong Kong. Um, it's a quite, a, it's quite a major U-turn, though, isn't it, on, on the part of the China authorities? Why do yeah, you think I'm they've not, done I'm that? I'm not familiar with um, all the, all the 
technicalities, but obviously it depends on depends on very much on your de definition of what constitutes um, confidential financial information mm. or sensitive financial information. Um, we need to see the fi fine print a bit to. Um, to, to see what that 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 I, I, apparently so, there are cert, certain companies, including state-owned enterprises, which will will not be meeting those um, mm. those requirements. And the CSRC said it seems to accept that there may be some companies. <laughs> Uh, which are yeah. uh, hold sensitive data, they're going to be delisted. But nevertheless, Andrew, what, what, what's your assessment of this? Is this good news? Yes, I think it is. I mean, it, it shows a more realistic approach by the Chinese authorities if they want to, to secure foreign money at the end of the day. Uh, and that's really, I think, what it comes down to. It's, it's the awareness that you know, they want to be an international or seen as an international centre. Uh, and in order to do that and to keep your companies viable, then you've got to really sort of sign up to the global system. Yeah, the government sort of had signalled earlier that it, it didn't really care whether Chinese companies could list overseas or not. But this seems to be a change. It seems to be an acceptance that their largest companies having overseas listings is actually a good thing. Yes, I think, I think the key thing realistically is the fact that China is increasingly aware that, you know, countries can weaponise both, you know, the US dollar and investment money. Mm. Uh, and China is slowing down and it will be needing you know, foreign money to be able to come in and, and to, to support its companies uh, in, in order to drive those companies going forward. Do you think this is going to be enough then to keep, uh, to satisfy US regulators and keep Chinese companies listed in the US? Oh, well, I think you'd have to ask the SFC that one. <laughs> um, but I think, I mean, I, I think the fact that, you know, that we've had these talks going on for several months now, uh, and this is obviously a very large concession by the Chinese, uh, I think the Americans will, will welcome it. Um, whether it goes far enough, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what their, what their game plan on it is. But remember, at the end of the day, all the, all the SFC is trying to do is to ensure that American investors can get a proper picture of a company that they want to invest in. Um, and that's the same for any market globally. John, that's a fair thing to ask, isn't it? If you want to go and list on a US exchange, you have to follow US uh, rules, and that includes providing audited financial statements so that investors are aware of the types of companies they're, they're investing in and the risks from that. Uh, yes, 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 of course, but um, it sort of relax, uh, reflects also the transition of NASDAQ uh, from a sort of Wild West uh, approach uh, itself to being, you know, uh, to being a more... Uh, properly regulated market. Mm. Well, what do you think this is going to do? Mm. Obviously, the Chinese markets are closed today mm. and tomorrow for the Qingming Festival, but is this a bit of a game-changer for Chinese stocks? Do you think maybe we'll see um, a more positive mm. view now on, on Chinese-listed stocks here in Hong Kong? Um, one, one, one hopes so, but I mean, the, the, the bigger picture for um, certainly the, the, the tech sector, as you know, is... is um, Uncertainty about on, ongoing, um, you know, r regulatory clampdown on on almost all all the sectors uh, which are affected. So, um, you know, we've seen uh, we've seen the markets bouncing around on rumours that the crackdown has um, the regulatory crackdown is going to ease from from now on, and then then uh, a few days later we get a, another piece of bad news for for one or other. Uh, the sectors or the or the or the big companies. So um, yeah, we're still in a. Uh, I think we're still in a, a sort of trying to find the bottom uh, type of uh, phase, and that that will you know. So mm. I can see continuing 
bouncing around and, and, and volatility, at least, at least for the next uh, couple of months or so. Andrew, does this change the, the, the picture for Hong Kong stocks, particularly for the Chinese-listed stocks here? Well, I think it's an encouraging sign, but I think, as John said, I mean, you know, we've seen a huge swing in policy uh, last year when you know, Xi Jinping decided to go to the dual economy and then common prosperity. Um, and, and he still mentioned you know, the, you know, the, the three big areas that he wants to address as being you know, the, the, the property sector, the education sector, and the healthcare sector. And we don't really have, as John was saying there, we don't really have a clear framework of what that really means. Um, you know, last year or earlier this year, you know, we saw some of these companies being asked to give voluntary donations um, and to support the economy and things like that. So, you know, any investor is going to be slightly worried by the fact that, you know, that there is inconsistency and there's a lack of a, a clear framework of what is being required. And I think on top of that, we still have the, the huge problem of, of uh, China's COVID zero policy. Mm. Uh, which obviously isn't working. We saw, as you mentioned earlier, the slowdown in the economy, which really reflected the slowdown in Shenzhen when that was closed for testing. Um, and it's likely to be far worse now that we've got Shanghai being closed down for longer than was originally expected. John, do you think common prosperity is quietly being dropped Last year, the, the phrase was everywhere, wasn't it? It was all over mm. uh, state media. It was mentioned in a lot of speeches by President Xi. This year, in the 17,000-word uh, government work report on mm. the economy, which Premier Li Keqing delivered last month, it turned up just once. Are they sort of like walking mm. away from this, do you think? Um, no, I, w I wouldn't say that. But, um, you know, there, w there was um, clearly a case for sort of rebalancing uh, the, the economy and the balance of power uh, between the uh, the big private sector and and the uh, and the, and the state-owned uh, sector, but um, yeah, we still don't you know we don't know where that's going to um, where that's going to, going to end. So, I mean, you know, at some point they can declare. I, I mean, it's such a broad phrase anyway that you know it's capable of, of being. Um, you know, it's not a one-off thing, is it? Uh, whereas the the re-regulation of the of the the large tech sector and, and other sectors, as Andrew mentioned, uh, you know, is sort of a one-off thing. I hopefully we'll we'll see a clear framework for the operations of the of these things emerging, you know, in the in the coming months. Um, but then the sort of wider political. Uh, Exploitation, as it were, of, of, of the meaning of the, of the phrase "common prosperity," I think, is a different issue. Do you think, Andrew, it's being sort of walked back a bit because it <coughs> has spooked companies, um, hasn't it? And, it? and it's also, you, you could say, it's also damaged the economy as well. Well, I think it has done, and I'm not sure about. I think I agree with John. I don't think that they're necessarily walking back from it because you know policy in China is very rarely do, they, do we see a U-turn. Um, but what we do tend to see them is, is you, know, you know, slowly smudging things around the edges uh, and, and, and adapting these things. Um, you know, in, in the short term, I mean, I think Xi is far more constant or far more focused on, A, making sure that he gets his last term and they don't have social unrest before he gets there. I mean, he really does need this year to be a stable year. He was hoping for it to have a, you know, a, being a reasonably prosperous year, uh, and that's looking difficult. So he's got, I think they've got far more important uh, matters on the agenda that they're focusing on uh, and, and clearly 
you know, they, they've already said that their growth target of just over 5%, you know, was going to be difficult. And now I think it's probably, you know, become far more, far more difficult than they'd ever imagined. John, of course, one of the big problems that China's dealing with now is this lockdown in mm. Shanghai. It seems to have extended to the whole city rather than actually half mm. the city being in lockdown at a time. The, the first half hasn't re-emerged at all from the, from the lockdown by uh, the sounds of reports there. How big a deal is this? Uh, yeah, I think, it, I, I think it's huge. Uh, I, I'm surprised in a way that um, um, they, they, um, China's allowed, you know, hostages they've given, made themselves hostages to fortune um with the unpredictable nature of this uh, o- omicron um uh, variants in particular um but seem nevertheless determined to prove that you know harsh measures they can get on they can deal with it in the same as way as they dealt with the earlier variants um which a glo- you know worldwide experience suggests is uh, is verging on the impossible. So how how long we can go before there's some some adjustment some adjustment to the language and um, uh, and it's worth pointing out that most of the cases in Shanghai are, are asymptomatic mm. and um, you know there's a thousand or so people who have symptoms and everyone's whisked off to hospital just as they were in Hong Kong before it became impossible. Um, even if they don't have symptoms, but um, so we'll just have to wait and see how long how long that can uh, continue. But so uh, you know, I mean, what one hears is a pileup of of ships uh, waiting to waiting to dock and, and load and unload in, in Shanghai is um, is getting longer and longer. Andrew, how big a deal is this both for the <coughs> Chinese economy and also for the global economy as well? No, I think John's right. I mean, it's a huge problem. Um, the backup in, in, in shipping and supplies, both in and out of China, is, is going to affect the global economy and not just China's economy. Um, and and the, the biggest problem they have is the fact that you know that, that they, the, the policy is zero COVID and they have no way of walking that back um, easily. Uh, and if they, you know, that that would be um, a huge dent to to Z's reputation if they had to. Um, and so that's that's the the reality that they have to live with. Well, let me tell you, they're not just uh, walking back it, they're, they're doubling down on it, because just a few moments ago, Chinese Vice Premier Sun Chenlan says it's important to maintain key functions of Shanghai while resolutely controlling the epidemic situation. It sounds like that, that policy is going to continue. Well, it is. I mean, and, and it's the same with their attitude to vaccines, to be honest. I mean, I think we're quite aware that the Sinopharm, the Sinovacs, aren't as good as Western uh, medicines, but, you know, they are still refusing to, to take those on board and, and allow Western medicines to help them out. Um, so there are a number of huge policy things. And, it, and the fact is that it comes down to the, you know, the communist regime, uh, the, the Chinese regime, they're wanting to show that the Communist Party's way of doing things is the right way, is better than the Western way, even when it's clearly not. John, final word to you. What what can be done to try and offset the damage to the economy that's uh, that we're seeing from this? Um, well, let's let's see what maintaining the key functions of uh, means in practice. You know, there's just a tiny ambiguity there, isn't there? That, that they're <laughs> mm. going to allow um, certain select selective, presumably sectors or activities to to to, to resume, and that that may well in, include. Um, Allowing Tesla to, or enabling Tesla to start 
producing again and, and enable the docks to um, to stop uh, operate at full speed. So yeah. uh, you know, let's wait and see on that one. But that's yeah. what's that's clearly what. A few more comments from him. He's saying, this is China's Vice Premier Sun Chun-Tan, he's saying he, uh, China will stick to the zero COVID strategy, strategy unswervingly and without hesitation after his, his yes. inspection of Shanghai. Dot, 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 except. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you both very much. Great to hear from you. That's uh, John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investments, and Andrew Sullivan, who's Managing Director at Outset Global. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.23 and a half, and let's go up to Shanghai now with Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. Morning, Ben. Good morning. Well, you're in the thick of the action there. Tell me, what is the situation like in Shanghai? Is the city largely under lockdown at the moment? Uh, interesting times right now, I would say. Uh, yes, very much under lockdown, and that, that includes both, both Pudong and Pushi. So people in Pudong have been under lockdown now for a number of days and, and were expected or expecting or hoping to have been released by now, but, but have not been. I suspect this is going to go on for a while. Um, I just had my, you know, millionth COVID test this morning and it was administered by medical team that were not from Shanghai. So they've been bringing in medical personnel from other provinces to try and mass test the city today um so far it doesn't seem to be going that well uh, the system crashed while i was being tested at 7:30 this morning so I, I think we're in for a bumpy ride i don't think this is going to be resolved anytime soon what's gone wrong because the idea initially was to do it um really in two halves wasn't it uh, uh lockdown pudong then release pudong lockdown pushi uh with what the authorities were saying would then cause minimum disruption um but it seems the whole city is now locked down I mean, what I what I have been told is that uh, you know Shanghai CDC or Shanghai medical personnel basically said this was not going to work from the beginning, but that the government basically thought that they could do this stage testing and actually be able to catch everybody that was testing positive with Omicron. But obviously, that was not going to work just given um, how transmissible the disease is and you know how incubation periods can be different. And so we're in the situation now where they've gone from sort of patchwork testing to blanket testing to lockdown and retesting. Um, the reality right now is, though, that I think things are probably a little bit beyond their ability to control. And so it's going to be interesting to see in the weeks ahead how they stick to this this zero COVID policy, because the rhetoric has been that they're going to stay with it, but it seems clear that it's going to be very difficult for them to actually roll things back and get numbers down to zero now. So... I'm a little bit skeptical. We're hearing reports that support for this zero COVID strategy is waning and states-backed media is trying to re-emphasise the importance of it. Are are you getting a sense that public support is is waning for, for this strategy at the moment in Shanghai? Yeah, so if, if you know you spend time in WeChat groups, for example, that are mainly populated by Chinese nationals, there's a lot of discussion now saying, well, hey, why can't we quarantine at home if we're an asymptomatic positive or cases aren't serious. You know, we're worried about our jobs. We're worried about making money. We're worried about our kids. Um, so we kind of need to open things up a little bit. There's a lot of that kind of chatter happening right now. Um, and I think that that's been amplified somewhat because up until now, government um, discussion of what the actual policy is has been extremely unclear um, because this has been handled mainly by 
neighborhood committees and volunteers within different building complexes. And so nobody really knows what the plan is. I think that's the, the biggest problem right now is, is from the central government down, there's nobody saying, okay, this is how things are going to go. This is step one, step two, step three. If this doesn't work, this is what we'll do next. And so I think a lot of people are sort of angry, confused, and, and feeling like there's no good plan in place. Mm. And we're hearing reports of food and medicine shortages in, in supermarkets and price rises, quite steep price rises. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing shortages of essential goods? You know, it's, it, it really is dependent on, I think, where you live in the city and sort of how technically savvy you are. So I know a lot of people in Pudong sort of went into this full lockdown without having enough time to have been able to secure um, fresh food. And so a lot of people on that side of the river have sort of been feeling it a little bit. In Pushi, we had a little bit more warning. And so people kind of raided supermarkets prior to the lockdown. Um, some supermarkets are still operating and are you know, restocking pretty aggressively. And so people can actually put in online orders and receive food, but they have to be getting up, you know, at 6 a.m. to place the order or trying seven or eight times before an order will actually go through and, and hoping things don't go out of stock. So what I would say is there's absolutely food available right now. But if you're an 87-year-old grandma and you don't really know how to use Alipay or some other payment app, um, it can be quite difficult right now. And can you still get deliveries if you can't go out uh, to go to the supermarket? Or is there, are there deliveries of food still working? So most of the restaurants now are completely shut down. I think a few restaurants have been given special dispensations to do delivery. So I believe KFC, for example, is still doing group delivery to some compounds. Um, so that's been, um, I think, a godsend for some people. Um, but in most cases, you're really restricted to ordering um, you know, produce or packaged goods from a small number of supermarkets that have been allowed to stay open. Um, as far as other packages go, it really depends on whether or not warehouses are now under lockdown and, and whether or not those goods can actually get on a truck somewhere. So I'd say delivery is pretty minimal, but it is still working. You know, if I look out the window, you still do see delivery guys in the morning um, unloading trucks at compound gates, and, and mostly that's that's produce and things like that. So it's not a dire situation. It's just one more of extreme inconvenience for people right now. And how are factories, factories and businesses coping? Tesla uh, said today that it won't be opening as planned, um, and it's told its suppliers and employees that. Uh, how, how are they doing under this closed-loop system that they're trying to, to implement yeah, that's that's another tough one. I think some some factories were able to sort of proactively put their closed loops into place and and have been able to you know operate in in some capacity, which has been been good for those who have been able to. But for the most part, either they haven't been able to get that approval or they haven't really had the systems properly in place and so haven't been able to. I think the government is going to be um, hungry to get some kind of manufacturing and logistics up and running again as soon as possible just because of the, the dent to the economy we're going to feel from this. But I think it's also clear that they're going to take a, a very slow measured approach to doing that just given, given all the rhetoric around uh, zero COVID. So I, I think it's going to be you know, tough for a lot of these organizations to, to open easily. We're hearing that some people are being told to stay in their offices and are actually there with sleeping bags with colleagues overnight. Is is that something that's widespread? Yeah, so for the most part, people were sent home prior to these lockdowns, but I think in some critical industries, so for example, if you look at you know the stock exchange and, and some of the trading that's happening, people were sort of proactively asked to move into their offices because um, of compliance issues and the need to be able to be on secure systems. 
Um, so, so that has definitely happened you know, prior to these lockdowns and it is happening now as well and likely will still continue going forward. And what's the impact of all of this going to be on the, the mainland economy? We're hearing some dire forecasts now. I've heard one forecast of uh, 10%, being, uh, 10 percentage points being shaved off of GDP this quarter. I, you know, I frankly wouldn't be surprised if, if that's what happens. Um, you know, given given how important Shanghai is to a lot of different sectors of the economy, as well as the fact that it's a major logistics hub, um, there are going to be you know knockdown effects because of this. Um, and I think the you know the greater fear is even if Shanghai does sort of limp along and, and open in some kind of limited way, that there's going to be a spread to some other nearby you know tier two, tier three cities, and then we're going to deal with lockdowns in those markets as well. Um, so I, I think that certainly it's, it's going to be ugly for this quarter, but I, I worry a bit more about the rest of the year as well, because I don't think even if Shanghai opens, there's going to be a major bounce back in consumer activity, certainly. Um, maybe manufacturing can come back, but then we're still going to have the issue with logistics. So even if factories can produce, I'm not sure they're going to be able to get products on boats very easily. Ben, thank you very much indeed for that update. That's Ben Cavender up in Shanghai, Managing Director of the China Market Research Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, in the markets, the ASX 200 in Australia up a third of percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down 0.1%. The Cosby in South Korea is flat. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 180 points at the open this morning. Money Talk will return on Wednesday after the Qingming Festival holiday. I'll be here tomorrow morning from 6 to 10 with a special holiday show of music and chat. Please join me for that if you can. Uh, COVID updates coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Mike Rouse this morning and the weather forecast. Fine, very dry, maximum temperature of 25 degrees. Fine and dry in the next few days as well with temperatures rising gradually. There is a red fire danger warning in force. It's 18 degrees right now, 48% relative humidity. I'm just gone 8.32. Here's Andy Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Chief executive hopefuls can submit candidacy papers from today after the nomination period officially opened yesterday. Joanne Wong reports. The SAR's next chief executive will be elected on the 8th of May. To qualify, a candidate needs endorsements from 188 election committee members split between various sectors of the 1,500-strong body. They'll have until Thursday next week to submit their papers in person at the returning officers' premises in Central. The end of the two-week nomination period coincides with public holidays. Asked again yesterday if she would seek re-election, Chief Executive Carrie Lam reiterated that it's not appropriate to announce her next move yet. The Office of the Chief Secretary John Lee told RTHK that it wouldn't comment on media reports that he could run. The Office of the Financial Secretary Paul Chan said he was focused on containing the coronavirus outbreak and implementing his budget measures. Russia's defense ministry has categorically denied it was responsible for the killing of civilians in the Ukrainian town of Bucha. Images from the town, which has been retaken by Ukrainian forces, have attracted international condemnation and calls for war crimes investigations. Russia says its forces left Bucha on Wednesday and described the videos and pictures as another provocation. Speaking to CNN, the U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken described the images of dead people, some with their hands tied behind their backs, bullet wounds to the head, as a punch to the gut. We can't become numb to this. We can't normalize this. 
Um, this is the reality of what's going on every single day, as long as Russia's brutality against Ukraine continues. That's why it needs to come to an end. Hungary's nationalist Prime Minister Viktor Orban has claimed victory in the general election after partial results gave his Fidesz party a commanding lead. The opposition, which had united behind a single leader in an effort to unseat Mr. Orban, has admitted defeat. And the entire Sri Lankan cabinet, other than the president and the prime minister, has resigned. The announcement was made following a late-night meeting as protests continued against the government.